So I would spend my summers, much like Dill, in Salisbury, North Carolina. It's a small town outside of Charlotte. And I would spend all day, all evening, with my cousins, my uncles. We would go see my Aunt Mary in Charlotte. She always had a pecan pie for me. Um, or Mountain Dew Apple Crisp. That's some damn good stuff right there. But we would catch fireflies and Duke's mayonnaise jars. And we would lay in the hammock. Or I would lay on my Uncle Bryce's lawn. Soft as grass and Salisbury. Look up at the stars. He had an amazing garden. He could grow tomatoes. He could grow anything. And he whittled. He whittled uh, all kinds of stuff for me. And I painted them and that sort of thing. It's the kind of town where uh, the gentleman would sit in lawn chairs outside of the house and gossip. I think those men gossiped more than the women. My grandmother made me breakfast every morning. I would sit at the kitchen table, draw with my ancient crayons, waiting for her to make my sausage and eggs and grits. And then we would wait till her stories came on. When they ended, she would take me to the old train uh, museum in Salisbury. My grandfather was a was a, uh, a railroad man, and uh, that was one of my favorite places in Salisbury. There weren't many places in Salisbury, but the railroad museum was one of my favorites. I loved. Um, watching the turntables where uh, they would show you how they would turn the trains around because you can't just you know turn the train around on the tracks it's got to go on this thing this round uh, thing and it it turns and it'll turn the train around and it'll go down the, the track again and uh, so these were these were some of my best memories uh, of, of my childhood were these summers I spent with my grandmother. Um, makes me kind of sad. Makes me miss her now. But then I would come home. And school would start. and It would be much like Maycomb. We lived on James Island. It's a, a bear island. Um, about 15 minutes from Charleston proper and you know we would come home when the cicadas started the lights came on ready for school the next day my mama worked nights at the hospital she was always gone in the evening so dad was in charge and then when she came home in the morning she had to sleep now, my sister and I, we didn't understand that she was not just napping. That was her sleep so she could go to work and take care of people. I always wanted to be a nurse. I never became a nurse. 
I became a paramedic instead. So, but I had a happy family. Uh, And my cousin always took care of me. Still takes care of me. Uh, And my Aunt Mary, you know, every time we'd go visit her in Charlotte, she'd have a pecan pie waiting on me. Or the Mountain Dew Apple Crisp. Now, if anybody doesn't know what this is, you take a can or two of Mountain Dew, which is probably the sweetest soda on the planet, and you use that as the sugar that you bake the apples in, and then you cover it with, you know, brown sugar, and oh my god, it's delicious. But her pecan pies were award-winning. But anyway, that's just a little bit of my childhood uh, growing up in the South. So, now that I've talked for like six minutes, we're going to get to the reading of To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. My nagging got the better of Jim eventually, as I knew it would, and to my relief, we slowed the game for a little while. He still maintained, however, that if Attica hadn't said we couldn't, therefore we could, and if Atticus ever said we couldn't, Jim had thought of a way around it. He would just simply change the names of the characters, and we couldn't be accused of playing anything. Dill was in hearty agreement with this plan of action. Dill was becoming something of a trial anyway, following Jim about. He had asked me earlier in the summer to marry him, then he promptly forgot about it. He staked me out, marked me as his property, said I was the only girl he would ever love. Then he neglected me. I beat him up twice, but it did no good. He only grew closer to Jim. They spent days together in the treehouse, plotting and planning, calling me only when they needed a third party. But I kept aloof from their more foolhardy schemes for a while. And on the pain of being called a girl, I spent most of my remaining twilights that summer sitting with Miss Maudie Atkinson on her porch. Jim and I had always enjoyed the free run of Miss Maudie's yard, if we kept out of her azaleas, but our contact with her was not clearly defined. Until Jim and Dill excluded me from their plans, she was only another lady in the neighborhood, but relatively benign presence. Our tactic treaty with Miss Maudie was that we could play on her lawn, eat her scubber noggins, if we didn't jump on the arbor, 
and explore her vast back lot. Terms so generous we seldom spoke to her, but so carefully we were to preserve the delicate balance of our relationship. But Jim and Dill drove me closer to her with their behavior. Miss Maudie hated her house. Time spent indoors was time wasted. She was a widow, a chameleon lady who worked in the flower beds in an old straw hat and men's coveralls, but after her five o'clock bath, she'd appear on the porch and rang up, rain over the street in her magisterial beauty. She loved everything that grew in God's earth, even the weeds, with one exception. If she found one blade of nutgrass in her yard, it was like the second battle of Mars. She swooped down upon it with a tin tub and subjected it to blast from underneath with a poisonous substance she said was so powerful it'd kill us all if we didn't stand out of the way. Why can't you just pull it up, I asked, after witnessing a prolonged campaign against a blade not three inches high. Pull it up? Child, pull it up! She picked up the limp sprout and squeezed her thumb up its tiny stalk. Microscopic grains oozed out. Why, one sprig of nutgrass can ruin a whole yard. Look here. When it comes to fall, this dries up, and the wind blows it all over Maycomb County. Miss Monty's face likened such an occurrence to an Old Testament pestilence. Her speech was crisp for a Maycomb County inhabitant. She called us all by our names, and when she grinned, she revealed two minute gold prongs clipped to her eye teeth. When I admired them and hoped I would have some eventually, she said, Look here. With a click of her tongue, she thrust out her bridge work and a gesture of cordiality that cemented our friendship. Miss Maudie's benevolence extended to Jim and Dill. Whenever they paused in their pursuits, we reaped the benefits a talent Miss Maudie had hitherto kept hidden from us. She made the best cakes in the neighborhood. When she was admitted into our confidence, every time she baked, she made a big cake and three little ones and she would call across the street, Jim Finch, Scout Finch, Charles Baker Harris, come here. Our promptness was always rewarded. In the summertime, twilights were long and peaceful. Often as not, Miss Maudie and I would sit silently on the porch, watching the sky go from yellow to pink as the sun went down watching flats and martins sweep low over the neighborhood and disappear behind the schoolhouse rooftops. Miss Maudie, I asked one evening, do you think Boo Rattler's still alive? His name is Arthur, and he's alive, she said. She was rocking slowly in her big oak chair. Do you smell my mimosa? It's like angel's breath this evening. Yes. Um, how do you know? 
Know what, child? That boo, Mr. Arthur, still alive? What a morbid question. But I suppose it's a morbid subject. I know he's alive, Jean Louise, because I haven't seen him been carried out yet. Maybe if he died, they stuffed him up the chimney. Now, where would you get such a notion? That's just what Jim said he thought they did. He gets more like Jack Finch every day. Miss Molly and know Jack, Uncle Jack Finch, Atticus's brother, since they were children. Nearly the same age, they had grown up together at Finch's Landing. Miss Molly was the daughter of a neighboring landowner, Dr. Frank Buford. Dr. Buford's profession was medicine, and his obsession was anything that grew in the ground, so he stayed poor. Uncle Jack confined his passion for digging to his window boxes in Nashville and stayed rich. We saw Uncle Jack every Christmas, and every Christmas he yelled across the street for Miss Molly to come marry him, and Miss Molly would yell back, Call a little louder, Jack Finch, and they'll hear you at the post office. I haven't heard you yet. Jim and I thought this was a strange way to ask for a lady's hand in marriage, but then Uncle Jack was rather strange. He said he was trying to get Miss Molly's goat. That's what he'd been trying unsuccessfully for 40 years. That he was the last person in the world Miss Molly would think about marrying but the first person she thought about teasing. And the best defense to her was a spirited offense, all of which we clearly understood. Arthur Radley just stays in the house, that's all, said Miss Maudie. Wouldn't you stay in the house if you didn't want to come out? Yes, am but I want to come out. Why doesn't he? Miss Maudie's eyes narrowed. You know that story as well as I do. I never heard why, though. No one ever told me why. Miss Body settled her bridge work. You know, old Mr. Radley was a first foot-watching Baptist. That's what you are, ain't it? Ain't it? My shell's not that hard, child. I'm just a Baptist. Don't you all believe in foot washing? We do, at home, in the bathtub. But we can't have communion with you at all. Apparently deciding that was easier to define primitive baptistry than closed communion. Miss Maudie said, foot washers believe in anything that's a pleasure is a sin. Do you know some of them came out of the woods one Saturday, passed by this place, and told me my flowers were going to hell? Your flowers? Your flowers too? Yes, ma'am. They'd, they'd burn right with me. They thought I spent too much time in God's outdoors, not enough time inside reading the Bible. My confidence in pulpit gospel lessened at the vision of Miss Maudie stewing forever in various Protestant hells. 
True enough, she had an acid tongue in her head, and she did not go about the neighborhood doing good as Miss Stephanie Crawford. But while no one with a grain of sense trusted Miss Stephanie, Jim and I had considerable faith in Miss Maudie. She never told on us, never played cat and mouse with us, and was not at all interested in our private lives. She was our friend. How so reasonable a creature could live in the peril of everlasting torment was incomprehensible. That ain't right, Miss Maudie. You're the best lady I know. Miss Maudie grinned. Thank you, ma'am. That is, foot watchers think women are a sin by definition. They take their Bible literally, you know. Is that why Mr. Arthur stays in the house to keep away from women? Oh, I have no idea. That doesn't make sense to me. Looks like if Mr. Arthur was hankering after heaven, he'd come out on the porch at least. Atticus says God loves folks like you love yourself. Miss Maudie stopped rocking and her voice hardened. You're too young to understand it, she said. But sometimes the Bible in the hand of one man is worse than the whiskey bottle in the hand of, oh, your father. I was shocked. Atticus doesn't drink whiskey, I said. Never drunk a drop in his life. No, ma'am. Yes. No. Yes, he did. He said he drank some one time and didn't like it. Miss Maudie laughed. Wasn't talking about your father, she said. I meant was if Atticus Finch drank until he was drunk, he wouldn't be as hard as some men are at their best. There are just some kind of men who who are so busy worrying about the next world, they ain't never learned to live in this one. And you can look down the street and see the results. Do, do you think they're true? All those things they say about uh, Mr. Arthur? What things? I told her. That is three-fourths colored folks and one-fourth Stephanie Crawford, said Miss Maudie grimly. Stephanie Crawford even told me once she woke up in the middle of the night and found him looking in the wind after her. I said, what did you do, Stephanie? Move over in the bed and make room for him? That shut her up for a while. <laughs> I was sure it did. Miss Maudie's voice was enough to shut anybody up. No, child, she said. That is a sad house. I remember Arthur Radley when he was a boy. He always spoke nicely to me, no matter what the folks said he did. Spoke as nicely as he knew how. You reckon he's crazy? Miss Maudie shook her head. If he's not, he should be by now. The things that happen to people, we never really know. What happens in houses behind closed doors? What secrets? Atticus don't ever do anything to Jim and me in the house that he wouldn't do in the yard, I said, feeling it my duty to defend my parent.
gracious child. I was raveling a threat. Wasn't even thinking about your father. But now that I am, I'll say this. Atticus Finch is the same in his house as he is on the public streets. Now how would you like some fresh pound cakes to take home? I liked it very much. Next morning when I awakened, I found Jim and Dylan in the backyard, deep in conversation. When I joined them, they, as usual, told me to go away. Will not. This yard is as much as mine as it is yours, Jim Finch, and I've got just as much right to play in it as you do. Jim and, Jim and Dill emerged from a brief huddle. If you stay, you've got to do whatever we tell you, Dill warned. Well, I said, who's so high and mighty all of a sudden? If you don't say you'll do what we tell you, we ain't going to tell you anything, Dill continued. You act like you grew ten inches in the night, all right. What is it? Jim said placidly. We're going to give a note to Boo Radley. Just how? I was trying to fight down the automatic terror rising in me. It was all right for Miss Maudie to talk. She was old and snug on her porch. It was different for us. Jim was really going to put a note at the end of a fishing pole and stick it through the shutters. If anyone came along, Dill would ring the bell. Dill raised his right hand. In my... And it was my mother's silver dinner bell. I'm going around to the side of the house, said Jim. We looked yesterday from across the street, and there's a shutter loose. Think maybe we can make it stick on the windowsill at least? Jim, now you're in it, and you can't get out of it. You'll just have to stay in it, Miss Pris. Okay, okay, but I don't want to watch. Jim, somebody was... Yes, you will. You watch the back end of the lot. Dill's going to watch front of the house and up the street. And if anybody comes, he'll ring the bell. Is that clear? All right, then. What'd you write him? Dill said, we're asking him real politely to come out sometimes and tell us what he does in there. We said we wouldn't hurt him, and we buy him ice cream. Y'all have gone crazy. He'll kill us, Dill said. It was my idea. I figured he'd come out and sit a spell with us if he might feel better. How do you know he don't feel good? Well, how do you feel when you've been shut up for a hundred years without nothing but cats to eat? I bet he's got a beard down to here. Like your daddy's? He ain't got a beard. He... Dill stopped as if trying to remember. Um, uh, caught I said. You said four. There was... You were off the train. Good. You were off the train. Good. Your father had a black beard. If it's all the same, 
to you, he shaved it off last summer. Yeah, and I got the letter to prove it. He sent me two dollars, too. Keep on. I reckon he even sent you a mounted police uniform. Betsy never showed up, didn't it? You just keep on telling them, son. Dill Harris could tell the biggest ones I ever heard. Among other things, he had been up in a mail plane 17 times. He'd been to Nova Scotia. He had seen an elephant, and his granddaddy was Brigadier General Joe Wheeler and left him his sword. You all hush, said Jim. He scuttled beneath the house and came out with a yellow bamboo pole. Reckon this is long enough to reach from the sidewalk? Anybody who's brave enough to go up and touch the house hadn't ought to use a fishing pole, I said. Why don't you just go knock on the door? This is different, said Jim. How many times do I need to tell you that? Jim took a piece of paper from his pocket and gave it to Jim. The three of us walked cautiously towards the old house. Dill remained at the light pole on the front corner of the lot. And Jim and I edged down the sidewalk parallel to the side of the house. I walked beyond Jim and stood where I could see around the curve. All clear, I said. Not a soul in sight. Jill looked up the sidewalk to Dill, who nodded. Jim attached the note to the end of the fishing pole, let the pole out across the yard, and pushed it towards the window he had selected. The pole lacked several inches of being long enough, and Jim leaned over as far as he could, and I watched him make jabbing motions for so long, I abandoned my post and went to him. Can't get it off the pole? He muttered, or if I got it off, I can't make it stay. Go back on the street, Scout. I returned and gazed around the curve of the empty road. Occasionally, I looked back at Jim, who was patiently trying to place the note on the windowsill. It would flutter to the ground, and Jim would jab it up again, until I thought if Brew Radley ever received it, he wouldn't be able to read it. I was looking down the street when the dinner bell rang. Shoulder up, I reeled round to face Boo Radley and his bloody fangs instead. I saw Dill ringing the bell with all his might in Atticus's face. Jim looked so awful, he didn't have the heart to tell him so. He trudged along, dragging the pole behind him on the sidewalk. Atticus said, Stop ringing that bell. Dill grabbed the clapper and the silence followed. I wish he had started ringing it again. Atticus pushed his hat to the back of his head and put his hands on his hips. Jim, he said, What were you doing? Nothing, sir. I don't want any of that. Tell me. I was... We were... Uh, we were just trying to give something to Mr. Radley. What were you trying to give him? Just 
Just a letter? Let me see it. Jim held out the filthy piece of paper, and Atticus took it and tried to read it. Why do you want Mr. Radley to come out? Dill said we thought he might enjoy us, and dried up when Atticus looked at him. Son, he said to Jim, I'm going to tell you something, and I'm going to tell you one time. Stop tormenting that man. That goes for the other two of you. What Mr. Rattle does in his own business, and if he wanted to come out, he would. If he wanted to stay inside in his own house, he had the right to stay inside, free from the attentions of acquisitive children, which was a mild term for the likes of us. How would we like it if Atticus barged in on us without knocking when we were in our rooms at night? We were, in fact, doing the same thing to Mr. Radley. What Mr. Radley did not did might seem peculiar to us, but it did not seem peculiar to him. Therefore, had it never occurred to us that by the civil way to communicate with another be with another human being was by the front door instead of a side window. Lastly, we were to stay away from that house unless we were invited there. We were not to play an asinine game where he he had seen us playing or make fun of anybody on this street or in this town. We weren't making fun of him. We weren't laughing at him, said Jim. We were just... So that was what you were doing, wasn't it? Making fun of him? No, said Atticus. Putting his life history on display for the edification of the neighborhood. Jim seemed to swell a little. I didn't say that's what we were doing. I didn't say it. Atticus grinned dryly. You just told me, he said. Stop this nonsense right now, every one of you. Jim gaped at him. You want to be a lawyer, don't you? Our father's mouth was suspiciously firm, as if he was trying to hold in the line. Jim decided there was no point in quibbling, and was silent. When Atticus went inside the house to retrieve a file he had forgotten to take to work that morning, Jim finally realized that he had been done in by the oldest lawyer trick on record. He waited a respectful distance from the front steps, watched Atticus leave the house, walked towards the town. When Atticus was out of earshot, Jim yelled after him, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer, but I ain't so sure now. said our father when Jim asked if we could go over and sit by Miss Rachel's fish pool with Dill as this was his last night in Maycomb tell him so long for me and we'll see him next summer 
We leapt over the low wall that separated Miss Rachel's yard from our driveway. Jim whistled, Bob White, and Dill answered in the darkness. Not a breath blowing, Jim said. Look a yonder. He pointed to the east. A gigantic moon was rising behind Miss Maudie's pecan trees. That made it seem harder, he said. Crossing in tonight, asked Dill, not looking up. He was constructing a cigarette from newspaper in a string. No, just the lady. And don't light that thing, Dill. You'll stink up the whole end of town. There was a lady in the moon in Maycomb. She sat at a dresser combing her hair. We're going to miss you, boy, I said. Reckon we better watch for Mr. Avery. Mr. Avery boarded across the street from Miss Henry Lafayette DeBose's house. Besides making change in the collection plate every Sunday, Mr. Avery sat on the porch every night until 9 o'clock and just sneezed. One evening, we were privileged to witness a performance by him, which seemed to have been his positively last, for he never did it again so long as we watched. Jim and I were leaving Miss Rachel's front steps one night when Dill stopped. Golly, look yonder. He pointed across the street. At first, we saw nothing but kudzu-covered front porch. But a closer inspection revealed an arc of water descending the leaves and splashing in the yellow circle of the streetlight, some ten feet from the source to earth. It seemed to us. Jim said Mr. Avery misfigured. Dill said he must drink a gallon a day and the ensuing contest to determine relative distances and respective proudness only made him feel left out again, as I was untalented in this area. Dill stretched and yawned, and said altogether too casually, I know what, let's go for a walk. He sounded quite fishy to me, knowing a Maycomb just takes, takes a walk. Where to, Dill? Dill jerked his head in a southerly direction. Jim said, okay. But when I protested, he said sweetly, you don't have to come along, Angel May. Well, you don't have to go. Remember, Jim was not one to dwell on past defeats. It seemed the only message he got from Atticus was insight into the art of cross-examination. Scout, we ain't gonna do anything. We're just going to go in the streetlight back. We strolled silently down the sidewalk, listening to porch swings creaking in the weight of the neighborhood, listening to the soft night murmurs of the grown people on our street. Occasionally, we heard Miss Stephanie Crawford laugh. Well, said Dill, okay, why don't you go on home, Scout? What are you going to do? Dill and Jim were simply going to peep in the window with the loose shutter to see if they could get a look at Boo Radley. And if I didn't want to go with them, I could go straight home and keep my fat, flopping mouth shut. That was all. 
But what in the Sam Holy Hill did you wait until tonight? Because nobody could see him. Not because Atticus would be so deep in a book, he wouldn't hear the kingdom coming. Because Boo Radley killed them, they'd miss school instead of vacation. And because it was easier to see inside a dark home in the dark than in the daytime. Did I understand? Jim, please. Scout, I am telling you for the last time, shut your trap or go home. I declare the Lord you're getting more like a girl every day. With that, I had no other option but to join them. I thought it was better to go under the high wire fence at the rear of the Radley lot. We stood less of a chance being seen. The fence enclosed with a large garden and a narrow wooden outhouse. Jim held up the bottom wire and motioned Dill under it. I followed held up the wire for Jim. It was a tight squeeze for him. Don't make a sound, he whispered. Don't get in a row of collards. Whatever you do, they will wake the dead. With this thought in mind, I made perhaps one step per minute. I moved faster when I saw Jim far ahead beckoning in the moonlight. We came from the gate which divided the garden from the backyard. Jim touched it. The gate squeaked. Spit on it, whispered Dill. You got us in a box, Jim, I muttered. You can't get out of here so easy. Shh! Spit on it, Scout. We spat ourselves dry, and Jim opened the gate slowly, lifting it aside, resting it on a fence. We were in the backyard. back of the Radley house was less inviting than the front. A ramshackle porch ran the width of the house. There were two doors, two dark windows. Between the doors, instead of a column, a rough two-by-four supported one end of the roof. An old Franklin stove sat in the corner of the porch. Above it, a hat-rack mirror caught the moon and shone eerily. Arr, said Jim softly, lifting his foot. Smatter. Chickens, he breathed. That they would be obligated to dodge the unseen from all directions was confirmed when Dill ahead of us spelled G-O-D in a whisper. We crept to the side of the house, around to the window with several hanging shutters. The sill was several inches taller than Jim. Give you a hand up, he muttered to Dill. Wait, though. Jim grabbed his left wrist and my right wrist. I grabbed my left wrist and Jim's right wrist. We crouched, and Jim sat in our saddle. We raised him up, and he caught the windowsill. Hurry, Jim whispered. We can't last much longer. 
Dill punched my shoulder, and we lowered him to the ground. What'd you see? Nothing. Curtains. There's a lean, little teeny light off the way somewhere, though. Okay, let's get away from here, breathed Jim. Let's go back round again. Shh, he warned me as I was about to protest. Let's try the back window. Dill? No, I said. Dill stopped and let Jim go ahead. When Jim put his foot on the bottom step, the step squeaked. He stood still and then tried his weight by degrees. The step was silent. Jim skipped two steps and put his foot on the porch, heaved himself up onto it and teetered for a long moment. He regained his balance and dropped to his knees. He crawled to the window, raised his head and looked in. Then he saw a shadow. It was a shadow of a man with a hat on. At first he thought it was a tree, but there were no wind there was no wind blowing, and tree trunks never walked. The back porch was right bathed in moonlight, and the shadow, crisp as toast, moved across the porch towards Jim. Dill saw it next. He put his hands on his face. When it crossed Jim, Jim saw it and put his hands over his head and went rigid. The shadow stopped about a foot beyond Jim. Its arm came out from its side, dropped, and was still. Then it turned and moved back across Jill, walked along the porch and off the side of the house, returning as it came. Jim leaped off the porch and galloped towards us. He flung open the gate, danced Dill and me through, and shooed us between two rows of squishing collards. Halfway between the collars, I tripped. I tripped on the roar of a shotgun, shattered the neighborhood. Dill and Jim died beside me. Jim's breath came to sobs. Fence by the schoolyard, hurry, scout. And he held the bottom wire. Dill and I rolled through. We were halfway to the shelter of the schoolyard, solitary oak, when we sensed that Jim was not with us. We ran back found him struggling in the fence, kicking his pants off to get loose. He ran to the old oak tree in his shorts. Safety behind us, we gave way to numbness, but Jim's mind was racing. We gotta get home, they'll miss us. We ran across the schoolyard, crawled under the fence, deer's pasture behind our house, climbed our back fence, and we were on the back steps for Jim let us pause to rest. Respiration normal, the three of us strolled as casually as we could to the front yard. We looked down the street and saw a circle of neighbors at the Bradley's front yard. We better go down there, said Jim. They'll think it's funny if we don't show up. Mr. Nathan Radley was standing inside his gate, a shotgun broken across his arm. Atticus was standing beside Miss Maud and Miss Stephanie Crawford. Miss Rachel and Mr. Avery were, were nearby. None of them saw us come up. We eased in beside Miss Maudie, who looked around. And where were you all? Didn't you hear the commotion? What happened? asked Jim. 
Mr. Radley shot at a negro in his collar patch. Oh, did he hit him? No, said Miss Stephanie, shot in the air. Scared and pale, though. Says if anybody sees a white, white nigger around, that's the one. He says he's got the other barrel waiting for the second. He hears that patch. And next time, he won't aim high. It'll be at the dog, nigger, or Jim Finch. Ma'am, asked Jim. Atticus spoke. Where are your pants, son? Pants, sir? Pants. It was of no use. His shorts before God and everybody. I sighed. Ah, Mr. Finch. In the glare of the streetlight, I could see Dill hatching one. His eyes widened with his fat chair face growing rounder. What is it, Dill? asked Atticus. Ah, uh, I want it from him, he said vaguely. Won them? How? Jim's, Dill's hand sought the back of his head and brought it forward and across his forehead. We was playing strip poker yonder by the fish pool, he said. Jim and I relaxed. The neighbors seemed satisfied. They all stiffened, but what was strip poker? We had no chance to find out. Miss Rachel went off like a town fire siren. Dude, Jesus, Dill Harris, gambling by my fish pole. I'll strip poker you, my sir. Atticus saved Dill from immediate dis dismemberment. Just a minute, Miss Rachel, he said. I never heard of them doing that before. Were you all playing cards? Jim fielded Dill's fly with his eyes shut. No, sir. Just matches. I admired my brother. Matches were dangerous, but cards? Cards are fatal. Jim, scout, said Atticus. I don't want to hear of poker in any form again. Go by Dill's. Get your pants, Jim. Settle it yourself. Don't worry, Dill, said Jim, as we trotted off the sidewalk. She ain't gonna get you. He'll talk her out of it. That's from, That was some fast thinking, son. Listen, you hear? We stopped and heard Atticus' voice. Not serious. They all go through it, Miss Rachel. Dill was comforted, but Jim and I weren't. There was the problem of Jim showing up in some pants in the morning. Give you some of mine's said Dill, as we came to Miss Rachel's steps. Jim said he couldn't even get in them, but thanks anyway. We said goodbye, and Dill went inside the house, evidently remembered that he was engaged to me, and he ran back and kissed me swiftly in front of Jim. Y'all right here, he bawled after us. Had Jim's pants been safely on him, we wouldn't have to slept so much anyway. Every night sound I heard from my cot 
on the back porch was magnified threefold. Every scratch of feet on the gravel was was blue, rattly seeking revenge. Every passing negro laughing in the night was boo rattling loose and after us. Insects splashing against the screen with Boo Radley's insane fingers picking the wire to pieces. The china berry trees malignant, hovering, alive. I lingered between sleep and wakefulness until I heard Jim murmur. Sleep, little three eyes. Are you crazy? Shh! Atticus lights out. In the waning moonlight, I saw Jim swing his feet to the door. I'm going after him, he said. I sat upright. You can't. I won't let you. He was struggling into his shirt. I've got to. You do and I'll wake up Atticus. You do and I will kill you. He pulled himself down beside me on the cot tried to reason with me. Mr. Nathan's gonna find him in the morning, Jim. He knows you lost him, and when he shows him to Atticus, it'll be pretty bad. But that's all it was to it. Now go back to bed. That's what I know, said Jim. That's why I'm going after him. I began to feel sick. Going back to that place by himself, I remembered Miss Stephanie. Mr. Nathan had the other barrel waiting for the next sound he heard. Let it be nigger, dog. Jim knew that better than I. I was desperate. Look, it ain't worth it, Jim. A licking hurts, but it doesn't last. You'll get your head shot off, Jim. Please. He blew out his breath patiently. It's like this, Scout, he muttered. Atticus never whipped me since I can remember. I want to keep it that way. That was thought. It seemed that Atticus threatened us every other day. You mean he's never caught you in anything? Maybe so, but I just want to keep it that way, Scout. We shouldn't have done that tonight, Scout. It was then, I suppose, that Jim and I had begun to part company. Sometimes I didn't understand him, but my periods of bewilderment were short-lived and was beyond me. Please, I pleaded, can't you just think about it for a minute by yourself on that place? Shut up. It ain't, it's not like he'd never speak to you again or anything. I'm gonna wake him up, Jim, I swear I am. Jim grabbed my pajama collar and wrenched it tight. Then I'm going with you, I choked. No, you ain't. You just make noise. It was no use. I unlatched the back door and held it while he crept down the steps. It must have been two o'clock. The moon was settling on the latticework shadows. Jim's white shirt tail dipped and bobbed into like a small ghost dancing away to escape the coming morning. A faint breeze stirred and 
cold sweat running down my sides. He went the back way, through Deer's Asture, across the schoolyard and around the fence. I thought at least that was the way he was headed. It would take longer, so it was not time to worry yet. I waited until it was time to worry and listened for Mr. Radley's shotgun. Then I thought I heard the back fence squeak. It was wishful thinking. Then I heard Atticus cough. I held my breath. Sometimes when we made a midnight pilgrimage to the bathroom, we would find him reading. And he said he often woke up during the night, checked on us, and would read himself back to sleep. I waited for his light to go on, straining my eyes to see the flood of the hall. It stayed off, and I breathed again. The night crawlers had retired, but the ripe china berries drummed on the roof when the wind stirred. It was the darkness was desolate, with the barking of distant dogs. There he was, returning to me, his white shirt bobbing over the back fence and suddenly grew larger. He came up to the back steps, latched the door behind him, and sat on his cot. Wordlessly, he held up his pants. He lay down, and for a while, I heard his cot trembling. Soon as he was still, I didn't hurt, I didn't hear him stir again. Alright y'all, the Southern Girls calling it a night. We will start back with chapter 7 of To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee.